Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell, one of the chaplains here. It's so good to see you this morning as we continue our series on uh, life giving lessons. Uh, what an awesome joy it was to see when the children were released. People, they were just coming out of everywhere. I don't know if we have trap doors in here where children just kind of came out of, but that's very exciting. Y'all have a lot of kids, and that's, and that's awesome. We're, we're so glad that uh, typically on, the, on every uh, Sunday of the month, except for the first Sunday, we have Children's Church. On the first Sunday, we do communion so that all our family is here together. We are a family, right? We're, we're, a, we're a Schofield Community Chapel. We are the family of God. We have Children's Church. We have a, we have a nursery. We want uh, you folks with, with babies, I think it's six months old, up to three, to come on out and, uh, and, and, to, and to utilize the nursery so you can come in here and uh, worship. As we think about that, let me encourage you as well, we need everybody to, to work together to, to be a blessing to our family. So if you're, if you're part of these ministries, God bless you. Thanks so much for doing it. But if you would like to join us, we need you to join us. Feel free to let us know, let myself know, let one of the chaplains know, and we'd be glad to get you a background check and get you plugged into the, those types of uh, ministries. We're a, we're a very influx family. Every week you come into chapel, it's, it's almost like it's new faces that I've never met before. By the way, is there, is there anybody leaving in the next two months? Raise your hand. I know one of our band is here for even. Y'all are leaving very soon. Some people over here leaving in a few months. Absolutely. How many folks, I got to hide my bright lights here. How many folks are, have only been here for like three months or less? Raise your hand. Yeah, Absolutely. We're always in flux, but while you're here at Schofield uh, Barracks and while you're here serving in Hawaii, we hope and pray that you can make this uh, chapel a part of your family. So it's good to see everybody. We're very excited to, to have you uh, here today. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do, I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 20, which will be our main text today, although we will look a little bit at Matthew chapter 19. And we're going to look at this subject that's not fair, getting what you deserve. That's not fair, getting what you deserve. This is part of our sermon series called The Life-Giving Lessons as we go through the parables of Jesus. I hope and pray, and I believe with all of my heart, that if we'll hear God's word as we go through these uh, series, that we will have life-giving lessons that are given to us we live in a world that's very much about what, what's fair for me, what's fair for you. Getting what I deserve, one of my chaplain buddies gave me a picture. Henderson, you can go ahead and put that picture up. There's a picture of this little, I don't know, like a Valentine's gift or something, stress relief. And on the front it says, it says, you deserve this. So in my sermon preparation, I went down this rabbit hole of like, where this concept pops up, it pops up a lot in advertising and culture all over the place. This idea of, 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 of I'm, I, I, need, I want my rights. I want what's fair for me. I deserve this. I, I deserve that. I did the liberty of doing a little research. Let me share with you some of the ways this pops up in our, in our culture. Burger King's a famous one. It says what? Have it what? Have it your way. After all, you deserve a cheap hamburger from a fast food place. Who, who doesn't, right? You deserve to be rich. Dr. Pepper's very slogan is the one you deserve. 
I suppose, after all, everybody deserves a carbonated, rich, sugary substance that on the side it literally says this content may explode. But you deserve that. You deserve what Dr. Pepper has to offer. I don't know how else to say it, but I found a laxative commercial that literally the whole catch was you deserve to have a good poop. You deserve that. It's just you're right. There was a hair commercial, near hair removal. You, you deserve to have all the hair you're supposed to have in the places you want to have it, but you also deserve not to have to deal with the places on your body that you don't want to have hair. You deserve that. I found a, a commercial for people who are bald, like men who intentionally just shave, every, shave everything bald. Give your beautiful bald head the respect it deserves. I did not make that up. I found that on the internet, so it must be true. If you've ever seen the movie, How to Lose a Guy in 10, what is it? In 10 days. Thank you. Thank you. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Do you remember the scene where they were talking about this advertisement? And what was the phrase? Frost yourself. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'd never seen the movie, but thanks to Google, I looked up a little 30-second clip, and I, and I also took down verbatim what they said in that clip. Here's what they say. It's just going back and forth in this conversation. Ladies, frost yourself. We could introduce it at the party. It should be the theme. The other guy says, yes, everything frosted. Remember, all of it. Martini glasses, chandeliers, jewels everywhere. The women, the whole party, a sparkling diamond. All of it frosted. And then the guy goes to the window. What's he yell out, to the, out the window? He says, women of New York, frost yourself. Why? Because we, we deserve all these things. I'm going to challenge that. More importantly, God's word's gonna challenge that. And I want you to think about this with me. When we get down to it, I don't think any of us really want what we, quote, deserve from God. I'm going to submit to you that none of us really want what we quote deserve from God, even in a world where there's a high emphasis on me getting what I deserve because I've earned, I've earned all this. Andrew already read for us in Matthew chapter 19. I want you to go back there and I want to, I want to talk through this before we get to our actual parable in Matthew chapter 20. In this story, it is a story of the rich man, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus. Jesus tells him to sell everything he has, give up his possessions, and come follow Jesus. And the Bible says in verse number 22, Matthew 19, the young man heard that and he went away sorrowful. He was sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus makes his famous statement, uh, it is harder, it is easier, excuse me, for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples heard this, and what did they say? They said to Jesus, well, well, who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Here's what I want you to see. This next statement from Peter and the conversation that Peter has with Jesus and the disciples, this is what causes Jesus to go into this parable. Look at what Peter says in verse number 27. He says, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Do you catch Peter's logic? It's very hard for a rich man to get to the eye of a needle because he's, he's selfish, he's rich, he doesn't want to give away his riches. But then Jesus says, oh, with God, all things are possible. 
Peter follows that and says, okay then, well, we're the ones who's been with you. What do we have? Because after all, maybe we deserve a whole lot more. Did you catch that? That's what Peter said. What what are we going to get? We're the ones who's been following you. Sort of like the older brother we looked at a few weeks ago. Dad, I've been with you all this time. Why are you giving the younger brother all these things? Well, that's Peter's mentality here. And then Jesus says to him, when the Son of Man will sit on his throne, you who have followed me will also sit on the thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who's left houses, brothers, sister, father, or mother, or children, or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And Jesus makes the statement, for many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And that is what leads to the story we're going to look at today, the parable of the workers or the laborers that are in the vineyard. And we're going to read Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to go all the way down through verse 16. I want you to notice before we read, the characters are going to be the landowner and these different folks that he hires throughout the day. I will go ahead and tell you, it is a 12-hour work day. Dale Chesser one time told me that back in his day when he was was in the army, he did tell soldiers, hey, today you're going to get a half day. 12 hours is half of a 24-hour day. That's a half day. Y'all, y'all see what I'm saying? This is a 12-hour work day. There were no Donzas back in this day. If you didn't work, you weren't going to get paid and you were going to have trouble feeding your family. 12 hours. So notice as we read, it's going gonna, it's gonna to talk. It's basically for our time's sake, it's 06 or 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or 1800 for, for that 12-hour for that work day. And throughout the day, different folks are going to get hired. So follow that as I read it to you, and you can look along in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 20. Here's the story Jesus tells. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. Verse six, and about the 11th hour, that's 5 p.m. This is 11 hour work days already done. He went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? Verse seven, they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Remember how Jesus started the last to be first, first, last? Beginning with the last up to the first. Verse nine. And when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius whole day's wage, one hour work. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. You can already hear that that's not fair, right? Verse 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, these last worked only one hour and you've made them equal to us who have bore the burden of the day and the scorching heat But he replied to one of them, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Uh, Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. 
I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's talk through the passage for just a moment to make sure we understand what's going on. Some of your translations may even give you like the modern equivalents of the time. But it says in verse 1, early in the morning would have been about 6 a.m. That's typically how a work day would work. In verse 3, it says the third hour. That would have been about 9 a.m. The sixth hour and the ninth hour. In in verse 5, that would have been about noon, about 12 o'clock, and then about 3 p.m. We've already said the 11th hour was about 5 p.m. That's the story. Jesus' point is not really about, let's, 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 here's lessons on how to pay people. That's not really the point. Remember, the context is Jesus talking to the disciples about the last being first and the first being last, and Peter's statement about, oh, what are we going to receive? And he starts his parable like he does many of them. The kingdom of heaven is like... So with that said, let's look at some lessons that I think we'll learn from this parable. Point number one is this. We see this in this parable. We see this all through the Bible. Point number one, God always does what is right. God always does what is right. In the parable, one of the points that the landowner makes is, did I do you wrong? Remember what he said? He he said, you agreed to work for a denarius. What did I pay you? A denarius. It's my business that I gave these other people more money, but the landowner's arguing that he did what is right. God's rewards are just and generous. Friends, be aware, I warn us against some sort of mentality of spiritual quid pro quo. I warn against this idea of some sort of spiritual quid pro quo. This passage reminds us the landowner... uh, reminds them that he's treated them justly. He's given them exactly what he agreed to give them. The landowner also points out in verse 15 that he has the right to do with his own money whatever he chooses. Not only has he done no wrong in paying the earliest workers what they agreed to, but he's also done no wrong in paying the latest workers more than they earned. He's allowed to be as generous as he wants with his own money. Abraham in the Old Testament said this about God, will not the judge of all the earth do right? God keeps his promises. God is good. God always does what is just and right. You don't have to turn there, but Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 talks about God giving us far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. As Jesus was talking to Peter and the disciples after the rich young ruler, as Jesus is sharing this parable, the first point I want you and I to understand, when we think about life-giving lessons in the kingdoms, rest assured, God is always doing what is just and what is right. And I'm going to submit to us again, you do not want God to give you what is, quote, fair or what you deserve. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But point number one, God always does what is just and what is right. Point number two, God is not unfair to you when he's generous to someone else. God is not unfair to you when he's generous to someone else. If you go back and look at Matthew 19, I want you to look at one passage again. Look at verse 29 in Matthew chapter 19. 
He says, everyone who's left houses or brothers, sister, father, mother, children, or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. One of the lessons Jesus is teaching is that, is that all of God's children will receive blessing from him. All those who trust, we know from the rest of Scripture, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will have eternal life. Think about the story. Guy works for an hour, he gets a denarius. The guy who came in at 5 p.m., he worked an hour. Do the math. And by the way, this is a culture where these guys, remember when the landowner said, how come, how come you're still sitting here idle? What did he say? He didn't say, because I'm at home, I got a COVID check. I don't have to work for the next whatever years. He didn't say that. He didn't say, oh, I'm in my parents' basement. My mom's still buying all my stuff. He didn't say that. He didn't say, I'm just hoping the government's going to take care of me. There was none of that in the first century. He, the worker literally said, nobody's hired me. It's what Paul said in one of his epistles. If you don't work, you don't eat. These guys were waiting. It's like, did you ever, did, have you ever gone to Home Depot and seen guys waiting, hoping somebody's got a construction project? That, that's kind of the image that you have here. Somebody's standing there waiting for someone to hire them for the day. That's what's going on here. So imagine, put yourself in the shoes of these guys. He starts with the guy who worked the least, the one-hour guy, and he pays him a denarius. So if you're that guy who worked 12 hours, what are you starting to do in your brain? I'm starting to do math. I know some people hate math, but if it means I get more money, I like math, right? So if the cat who got worked one hour got a day's wage, one times I worked 12 hours, I should get 12 days wages. Man, I'm about to make bank. So I'm sitting in the back. He pays the first guy a denarius. And then he goes down the line and everybody gets their denarius and you're like, oh no, this is not looking good. Comes to you and you get your denarius. No labor union on earth would accept this arrangement. There would be court, lawyers would make millions of dollars if somebody, if somebody did this today. Uh, no, nobody would do that. You would want to hire a lawyer, wouldn't you? You, you, would, you, would, you would answer one of those claims, uh, did, you, did you receive unfair wages in, the, in uh, AD 25? You may be entitled to a compensation. It's one of those deals, right? It's, it's, it's not fair. But let me say again, God is not unfair to you when he is generous to someone else. God is not unfair to you when he's generous to someone else. But these workers, they complain. In fact, if you go back and look at that verse, it says that they grumbled. Look at verse 11. On receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. The, the Greek word there is igaguzan. It's a, it, it's, it sounds like the word gagu, 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 gagu. It's onomatopoeia, if you know what that is. It's, you ever read the comics and it's like if you make a punch, it's like pow. Pow is a, a word that's sort of made up to sound like a noise. These guys are Does that make sense? They're grumbling. I know nobody in here has ever you know. We get more Donzas than anybody in the United States Army. I don't know if you know that. Because we get all the federal ones, and then the great state of Hawaii has all these holidays. We get those too. And we get all these four days. But make me work a little bit longer than I'm supposed to, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start complaining. Make me carry a little bit more. 
Let something not go right. We start grumbling. We start, we start complaining. Here's what I want you to understand. God is not unfair to you when he's generous to someone else. And let's go back to this concept of deserve. It's very simple. It's all through the Bible. What do you really deserve from God? What do I really, quote, deserve from God? I see somebody like raising their hand. The wages of sin is what the Bible says. Death. Are you a sinner? I'm a sinner. I'll admit that. I hope you could admit that because the Bible's already told us it doesn't really matter if I admit it or not. It, it, it is so. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says in Romans 3.23. and Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. If I got what I deserve, I would die and be punished for my own sin in hell forever. I don't know about you, but in this world where everybody talks about what they deserve, Whatever the case may be, I don't want what I really deserve from God. What I really want is his awesome, amazing grace. How about you? I need it. That's the point. You don't have to turn there, but you can jot this down. Psalm 103, verse 10. Psalm 103, verse 10 says, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. I'm so glad that God does not treat me the way my sin deserves or treat me according to my iniquities because of his great love for us. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. One of the obstacles that people have with coming to Christ is we have to admit that we deserve to be punished, but that God loves us anyway, and we have to trust him for our salvation. But we're having to admit something about ourselves that we just don't want to because we get caught up and people get caught up in this idea is, oh no, I, I have, I, I'm owed this. I deserve this. I deserve that. No, folks, we don't deserve those things, but God loves us anyway, and God always does what is right, and God is good to all of his children, as Jesus has already said to Peter, and God is always good to us, because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to do what? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says in that, in that last verse, it's literally in verse 15, or do you begrudge my generosity? Some of you have translations that translate that more literally. It literally says, is your eye evil because I am good? It's the concept, you've heard the concept of, of the, e the evil eye. There's a passage in Leviticus that talks about, don't, don't let there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year of release is at hand. In other words, every seventh year, they were supposed to let, let, let people come and take, their, and take their food and take the crops and the land and your eye be evil against your poor brother. In other words, God's saying, don't begrudge the fact that I'm asking you to give these things away because God is not unfair to you when he's, when he's good uh, to someone else. The, the, the landowner is saying, is your eye evil against me? The idea of envy, the idea of begrudging, but because I am good. Which, which one's in heaven? The thief on the cross who literally was hanging there for crimes that he committed and dying on a cross beside Jesus and had no time after he died to do any good works or the faithful apostles who 
for the most part, were martyred for their faith. Which one of those folks are in heaven? I know, I know, yes. Amen, all of them, all of them. From John, from Peter, from Paul, who, by the way, started out persecuting Christians. He's one of God's children. The thief on the cross is one of God's children. How awesome it is to know that the same eternal life will be given to that thief on the cross as it will the faith the faithful apostles. It'll be given to the one who lived an entire life of wickedness, but then who trusted Christ as their savior. It's the same eternal life for that person as it is for the person who is a missionary who spent 50 years of their life in a jungle in deprivation and in difficult work for the Lord. The person who receives Christ on a deathbed after a life of wickedness will receive the same eternity as the one who all his life served Christ and died a martyr. What an awesome, awesome thought. God is not unfair to you because he's good to someone else. We're all in the same boat. We all desperately need God's grace and we all desperately need God's mercy. We cannot experience the fullness of God's love and grace in our life as long as we're comparing ourselves to others or being envious of others or being angry if God is good to other people. Just like our older brother, remember in in Luke, the the prodigal son, what was the younger brother's problem? He was mad because the father welcomed the sinful younger brother back. What was the Pharisees doing in that passage? Jesus was hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and what? The Pharisees were mad about it. Don't fall into the trap of being envious if you see God doing good things for other people. God is not unfair to you just because he's blessing someone else. If you're a child of God, God has already blessed us with this great blessing. And I hope and pray that causes us to be faithful workers. Point number three is this. God is gracious to the people in his kingdom. And all those in the kingdom will experience God's grace. God is gracious to all the people in his kingdom. Now, who are those people? We know from all of scripture, these are the people who have trusted Jesus Christ as their savior. This story is a picture of God's sovereign, that is his rule over all, his sovereign saving grace. In this story, the landowner represents God. In this story, these laborers represent different people who come into the kingdom. And in the story, they come in at different times. This is God's reputation. This is who God is. At at his core, he is good and he is gracious. I want you to turn to this passage in Exodus chapter 34. I want you to turn there. I want to look at it together. Look at Exodus chapter chapter 34, starting in verse 6, I believe it is, in Exodus, in Exodus 34. It says that God passed in front of Moses, proclaiming the phrase that the statement God uses here comes up throughout the Old Testament. Listen to what he says. This is what God says about himself. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love, and faithfulness. One of God's favorite phrases to use of himself is he is the Lord who is gracious and compassionate and abounding in in love and abounding in faithfulness. This last point reminds us from this story that that God is gracious and he's always blessing us with every 
with every spiritual blessing. Every single person who's in God's kingdom will receive the full benefit of God's grace. Nobody will be treated unfairly. People who come in late, people who come in under dire circumstances, people who maybe they, they hear the gospel and it's like, hey, why have you been sitting here all this time? Huh? I don't know. Once they're in, God's going to be good to them too. He's going to offer that grace to anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can, can be saved. We learn from this landowner that all true disciples are equal in God's eyes. Remember what Peter said in Matthew chapter 19. We've left everything to follow you. Where's all the good stuff we're going to get? Well, the answer is, God's going to be good to you. God's going to be gracious to you. Don't worry. Just keep being faithful. He's continuing to call workers. He's going to give the same abundant grace to everyone who follows Christ. Where are you at in this concept of being a faithful worker for the Lord? Are you, have you answered the call? Have you said, yes, I want to trust Christ as my Savior? If you have not, I encourage you to realize your, your need for Christ. And, and we, we beg you to trust Christ as your Savior. If you're here and you're a Christian, I, I encourage you to just simply each and every day thank God for his grace and thank God for his mercy and simply be a faithful worker. Simply be a faithful worker because God is so good to us. I invite you to pray with me as our band comes. We're going to sing about the goodness of God as we, as we close out today. Are you a faithful worker? Are you serving the Lord? Do you know how good God is to you? I hope that you do. What do you deserve? What do I deserve? I don't know about you, but I want God's grace in my life because that's what I need. I invite you to stand and I invite you to pray with me. Heavenly Father, what an awesome thought that you give your grace and your goodness to everyone who calls on your name. God, we thank you for that. You say the last will be first and the first will be last. God, help us to simply understand that following you is everything and having your grace and goodness in our life is everything. And if we have you, we have enough. And God, I pray for those who may think that they're un unworthy. God, help them to understand that in many ways we are. God, that you love us anyway. And I pray that your love and your grace would just draw people to yourself. I pray for Christians who may be discouraged today. I pray that this parable, this life-giving lesson, would simply remind us, God, we're your child and that's enough. In a world where we're always trying to strive to please people, to compare ourselves to people, worried about this, that, and the other, God, I pray that the truth of knowing that we're your child God, that you're going to take us all the way home when it's all said and done. I pray that would be the fuel that we need to simply be faithful and rest in your goodness. God, we pray for your people today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.